I'd like you to take your Bibles, turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 through 12. I, I'm, I'm sometimes amazed that um, I, didn't, I didn't decide to do this series because of what was happening around us. I pray about series, and, and usually the Lord, I feel like the Lord's guiding me into a series, and I thought this would be a good series for right now, but I didn't realize, because I don't plan my messages ahead. Some, I know some preachers who've got their messages planned ahead two years ahead, okay? I don't do that. I, I usually choose a book, and we take our time going through the book as it comes, and that's that's Second Thessalonians. And so when we got to verse 7 through 12 today, we're going to see how Paul... Paul's telling us how he was towards the Thessalonians, how he treated them, how he ministered to them, his attitudes, and they were witness to that. And and I was thinking as I was reading that, I thought, you know, in one of his other letters, he tells us to follow his example as we follow Christ. And, and I thought, wow, so what we have here in these verses, verses 7 through 12, is going to be an example of somebody who loves other people, who cares for people around him, who cares for the church and the people of the church. And I thought, wow, what a timely thing for you and I to know right now, right? Because in light of our culture, in light of, uh, like, I, I just determined this week, it's best for me as a pastor just to focus on spiritual things. Don't talk about current events. Because not everybody's going to agree with you. Do, do, do you know what I'm saying? Not everybody's going to agree with you, and quickly it can escalate to where it's better if you just had just been quiet. And, and that's because people are on edge, and that could even be just in your family unit. That's not just talking about people at Walmart. That's talking about even in your own family unit. And, and, and the reality is, so how do, how, do we, how do we adjust to that in our world? How do, how do we as believers live in a kind of world where that is normal? Because that's kind of normal, isn't it? It's normal on the news. It's normal in everything we hear. How, how do we adjust to that? How can we be something different? And I think we're going to see through the example of Paul something to become, something that we can become. Remember, first week was something to hold on to, our faith, something to believe in or to have faith in. We saw that with the gospel. Here is something for you and I to become, something for you and I, how we, are, should, how we should be with each other. Because let's be honest, the basis of our unity here as a church is not what you believe about COVID-19, it's not what you believe about politics. It's not what you believe about how the economy should be handled or should not be handled. It's not even the basis of who, what sports team you root for. Okay? And, and the reality, the basis of our being together as a church family is one person only. Who? Jesus. Who doesn't address any of those issues. He addresses the greater issue your relationship with the living God. So I want you to notice with me, you're going to find these verses interesting because when you look at that, you're like, wow, man, I wish we would see that in how we act with each other. So look with me. Look with me at verse 7. 
It's going to be up on the screen if you didn't bring your Bible, or you can read along in your own Bible. Here's what Paul writes. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children, so affectionately longing for you, we were pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our lives, because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and our toil for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, we preach to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believed. As you know, we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Okay, all right, so I want you to listen to me. So here you are, you are a follower of Jesus. At some point in your life, you made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. And I can remember when I first became a believer, I looked at, because I didn't know anything. When you first come to Christ, especially if you weren't raised in a church home, I wasn't raised in a church home. You, you, you sit there and you try to observe, well, how, how am I supposed to be as a Christian? Because it's not like obvious. They don't hand you an owner's manual. You know what I'm saying? A 10-step process of this is what you're supposed to do. You observe people around you. You try to follow their example. And sometimes, I'll be honest with you, uh, I've, I've learned some bad examples from Christians because not everybody is doing right as a Christian, right? Okay? But Paul's coming along here, and he's giving them, he's talking about his example before them, which I already told you in one of the other lessons, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow his example. And we're going to see eight things here that I think if we think about for a moment, we would be like, yeah. Wouldn't that be awesome if we were that way with each other? And if, and if we were that way with each other, we would kind of stand out in a world where they're not that way with each other, right? where they're getting into fights because you didn't say, excuse me. Which, by the way, I would be in a lot of trouble in the world because my kids will tell you, I step on their feet and don't even know that I've done that. And they're like, oh, you know, oh, excuse me, you know. Yeah, we're oblivious sometimes. But I want to share with you eight things, okay? So we're going to start off with verse 7. And here's what I want you to see. Verse 7 starts off with the number one thing that he was with them. Look at what he says. But we were gentle among you. Gentle. Here's the first one, okay? They were gentle in dealing with others. They were gentle in dealing with others. Now, it's interesting Paul, who's telling us this, remember back in Galatians when he talked about going to the brother who's in sin, Galatians chapter 6, 1, you who are spiritual, 
restore such a one with the spirit of meekness and what else did he say? Gentleness. Even when we deal with somebody who's not doing right, you and I are to be gentle towards them. That's kind of the contrast here, isn't it? What we live in, it's kind of contrast to what I've seen sometimes in church where we snap at each other. Or we're like, come on, get get real, don't do that. We're, like, we're, we're brutal with each other. But this is not his example. He says he was gentle. He would say, well, how am I supposed to be gentle? What does that mean, be gentle, George? Well, he gives you, if you look at verse 7, he gives you an example of the kind of gentleness that he's talking about. Verse 7, he says, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own child. Now, you know, I've, I've been pastoring over 20 years now, okay? And, of course, through the years, my, my wife had, we've had four children, so I've watched her with our four babies. And I've watched other mothers through the years with their, I have never, I've, you know, you, you can, you just think about it for a moment. If you think about the moms who are here with their babies, they dote on their babies, don't they? They're gentle with them. They're caring for them. That's how we are supposed to be with each other. We're supposed to be gentle in our dealings with each other. Well, you know, I would be gentle, George, but, you know, they, they, I'm tired of their issue. Somebody's got to tell them like it is. No, 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 I understand but you of all people, if you recognize they got a struggle, should know that getting over a struggle isn't that easy. So be gentle with them. Isn't that what he says in Galatians 6.1? You who are spiritual with a spirit of what? Meekness and gentleness. What? Restore such a one. They, they were gentle. Paul was gentle. Paul and they were gentle in dealing with them. Okay? Dealing with them. Here's the second thing I want you to see. See it in verse 8. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. I'm going to show you two things from this passage, okay? Two things. First of all, the people were special to them. They were special to them. All right, so let me just stop for a moment, all right? There really are two kinds of, kinds of churches that you can go to. All right? Two kinds of churches. There's a kind of church you can go to where you can just show up and take a seat and leave when it's over. And I've been there where that was the kind of church where I just wanted to attend and I left. That's one type of church. The other type of church is where people come and yes, they worship together, but they get to know each other. They cry with each other. They laugh with each other. Now, what separates the two kind of churches? I'll tell you what separates. It's how the people in the church are viewed by the person attending. If you're just showing up and you're just attending because this is a church and you'll leave, then those people aren't special to you. But if you're there when weeping with them, when they're weeping, encouraging them when they need encouraged, 
you're there for them, it's because those people have become special to you. It's like Paul says in another one of his letters, when one part of the body hurts, the whole body hurts. So when you see someone in the church grieving a loss, you grieve with them. You don't know exactly what they're going through, but you grieve with them because they're hurting and you hurt for them. So he's pointing out here, he, you know, he, he, he was the way that he was with them. And he, I'm going to show you exactly what he did with them. It's because they were special. The people were special to them. Did you know what I'm saying? You know, I think back, I, mean, I, I, I think back, one of the greatest examples of church to me was the church that would be, it no longer exists. It was my home church when I got saved. It was a little bitty independent Baptist church, West Columbia, South Carolina. Okay, I went there. I got saved at 19 and uh, went to this little bitty Baptist church. And, I, and I, those people became special to me because within one year of, of my coming to Christ, my dad was murdered. And, and so those people loved me. They were there for me. They were praying for me. They were praying for my family. And, and I can remember when I went away at Liberty a year after that to go to school, whenever the weekend came, I had my own vehicle. I drove home to be at my own church. I didn't care about going to church in Virginia. I wanted to be at my church because I loved, I mean, that's a waste of gas, four-hour driving just to go home to be with church. Do you, do you, know what I'm you were nuts back then, George. Yeah, I was, Okay. I loved them. They were special to me. I was special to them. Do you understand? That's what church is. That's what Paul's saying here. He was, they were special to him. So here's what he did, okay? Here's what he did. The next thing there is they want to do more by investing themselves in others. They invested themselves in other people. They invested themselves. And in fact, look at what he says. They weren't just interested in you getting spiritual knowledge. They were interested in you. So here's what he says. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel. So they weren't just interested in you knowing the gospel of Jesus. They were also, we all, but also our lives. They gave of themselves to those people, to those people he gave of themselves. And, and I think, man, if you think about in ourself, let's be honest, what we're seeing on TV is it is just a manifestation of selfishness. No matter what, whether it's political, whether it's, uh, and, and I'm, I'm, it could be left, right, or center. It's all the same. It's just a manifestation of selfishness. Or, or what you're seeing about outrage and, and, and whether or not to wear a mask or not. We're not going to get into that. But I'm just telling you, at the heart of everything is, because that's what our, our nation was built on, individualism, right? Individualism, you know, where you achieve what you want to achieve. And, and so we only focus on me, myself, and I, maybe my family too. But what we're talking about here is something completely different. Paul says... 
you were special to me. So I didn't just give you the gospel, because sometimes that's what church is accused of, just only interested in getting people saved. No, no, he wasn't just interested in getting people saved. He invested in them with his what? With his life. With his life. Here's the next thing I want you to see. Look with me, verse 9. For you remember, brethren, our labor and our toil for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. Here's the next thing about them. They did not want to be a burden to them. So they weren't demanding. When he talks about here laboring night and day, Paul was a tent maker. He could have, he's already said to him, I could have come to you and said, I'm an apostle, you need to take care of me. But rather he labored to, so that he wouldn't be a burden on them. His attitude was putting them first over his own. Think about that. If we were like that as a church, where we thought about being there for others, not just ourselves. Through the years, I've had people, I've, I've, it's only a handful, but through the years, I've had people come and say to me, well, I'm not going to your church anymore. Oh, okay. Nobody's meeting my needs. Okay. And you walk away and you say, you missed the boat. Because church is not about come, people coming and meeting your needs. Church is about what? You being there for others. Then your needs are met. Did you understand what I'm saying? Because there's sometimes greater needs within you that you don't even recognize. And I tell you what, there's nothing more satisfying and more fulfilling than being there for other people. Did you understand what I'm saying? And that fulfills you far more than you meeting your selfish needs because have you noticed you're like if i get this i'll be okay then you get it and you're what you're not okay because you can't satisfy yourself only the spirit can satisfy you and and here paul's saying we weren't a burden to you we didn't make demands off of you we came to be there for you look now at verse 10 gives us his next point here. He says, You are witnesses in God also how devotely and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. Now here's, here's the point. They were examples to others concerning how they lived. They were examples to others concerning how they lived. I, I think, you know, sometimes we need to think about that. I think for me is, uh, what kind of an example am I before other people? We say, well, you're a pastor. You're supposed to think that way. Yeah, but I'll be honest with you. We're all supposed to think that way. Because whether you realize it or not, you're all being watched. People are watching you. They're watching you in the church. They're watching how you respond to things. They're watching how you're behaving. You know, and some of them... They're watching not for the right reasons because they're watching to see how they can tear you down, but, but
but they're watching you. You're being watched because you are an example to people whether you realize it or not, either in a good way or a bad way. And Paul is saying here that he knew that they were an example about how they lived. So how did they live? Which brings me to my next point I want you to see there. He basically says here, their lives reflected that they were holy, righteous, and blameless. Holy, righteous, and blameless. Now let me go through that because you can look at that and you say, well, I'm doomed. Uh, no, no, you, the words, we have our own connotations worthy for them, but let me help you with the words, okay? First one is holy, okay? It's like, well, I'm not holy. Uh, yeah, you are. You ever heard the word saint? I don't want you to think in terms of, our, of the Catholics who think in terms of saint people being sainted, but actually Paul refers to all of us as saints. The word saint means holy ones. You are a holy one. It means separated. You have been separated unto God. You belong to him. So when it talks about living holy, it's talking about living as who you are. Someone who belongs to God as a saint. Usually when we think of holy living, we, we think in terms of stuff we don't do. And th no, no, it's more than that. It's about who you are and the essence of who you are. Okay? Here's the other one. Righteous. You need to live as someone who is righteous. Now, first of all, if you know anything, you know from Scripture, Isaiah talks about that our righteousness is but as filthy rags. You live not because you're doing the right things, because you're not doing the right things. I'm not doing the right things. You haven't done right things today. You're not going to do right things today. You're going to do wrong things. You're going to do wrong things without knowing you're doing wrong things. Well, how can we live righteous then? Well, guess who gives you righteousness? Guess who has made you righteous? Who has made you righteous, folks? Jesus, because of what he did for you, he imparts to you righteousness. So when you go over to Zechariah chapter 3, look at the first five verses there. If you go over there, we won't read those, but there's an incident where Joshua the high priest is standing before the angel of the Lord, standing before the Lord with the angel of the Lord, and Satan is there accusing him. He's dressed in dirty garments. Usually dirty garments re reflects our unrighteousness. The, the sin that we've done, we're smudged. And Satan is accusing him, and the angel of the Lord says, the Lord rebuke you, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? That's you and I, folks. A brand plucked from the fire. What fire, George? Judgment of hell. And then he says, take from him his garments, put on clean garments, and give him a clean turban. What does that mean? Righteousness. You and I have been clothed in righteousness. So live as who you are. You say, what about the blameless thing? There's only one who's blameless, and I know that I'm not blameless. First of all, the blameless word here is not the same word that is used to describe Jesus. There's only one who's without sin. That's Jesus, right? But he's talking about you and I living in such a way that no one can make a standing accusation against us. It's not saying that you be sinlessly perfect. Does everybody recognize you're not going to be sinlessly perfect, right? If you haven't figured that out, we'll talk. Okay, we'll talk, all right? 
But here's the thing. So you live your life as an example of to others of these three things. What three things? That you're holy. That you're righteous. And that you're blameless. And you don't do it with arrogance. But it's living who you are in Jesus. Before each other as an example to each other. Do you understand? You say, well, how does that help anybody? All right. You ever met somebody who struggles with sin? Maybe with an addiction issue? How are they feeling about themselves? How are they feeling about themselves in their relationship with Jesus? I can already tell you right now, a lot of them are not feeling real good about themselves. They, they even wonder if they are saved. But here you are, if you're living these three things out in front of them as an example, you, you, you would come alongside of them and help them to understand who they are in Jesus. And because of who they are in Jesus, they can overcome the sin that besets them. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is, this is what we're called to. Their lives are reflecting something here. Now, here's, here's the next thing I want you to see. A couple more things I want you to see here. Look at verse 11. As you know, we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. Verse 12, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. All right, two more things here I want you to see of his example that are an example to us. First of all, they nurtured others with encouragement and comfort. They nurtured. I use that word nurtured because it reflects an ongoing process. When you talk about being an encouragement to somebody, that's not a one-time thing. When you talk about comforting somebody, that's not a one-time thing. It's an ongoing thing. It's an ongoing thing. It's nurturing them so that they grow in encouragement because they need to be encouraged, right? It's nurturing them and comforting them in their loss, whatever it may be, or in their regret about things. And, and you and I know that from our own personal lives. You, you, you know what? You may have lost a loved one, but you still grieve them. And people like to say, well, you know, it's time to move on. No, no, you can't move on. Nobody expects, I mean, you're, it's unrealistic to tell somebody who's lost someone to move on. They need comfort and it needs to be ongoing. Now, that's, that's going to be periodic for them as time goes on, but they still need comfort. They need encouragement. We need to be a place where, where we encourage each other to go on, to pick ourselves up when we fall. So they nurtured each other. But here's the other thing they did. Here's the last thing I want you to see. They challenged others to live a life worthy of their salvation. Like a parent, they challenged him. I mean, he uses that illustration there in verse 11, like a father. 
He challenged them like a father to do better. You can do better than that. You can be more than that. You should live worthy of the life you have been given. What life have you been given? Salvation. You were meant for so much more. That's true for all of us. That's true for me. That's true for you. When it comes to your spiritual life, you were meant for so much more. And the place that you need to hear that is right here. From all of us towards you. Did you understand? And especially those who have stumbled. Because in our culture, for those who have stumbled, we kick them to the curb. We're done with them. We write them off. But that's not what we're supposed to be in the church, right? This is the example that Paul's given us. This is something to become, right? This is something that we need to be, especially in light of everything going on around us. So let me give you two thoughts, okay? Two thoughts for you to wrestle with, all right? First one's a personal question. Because you could take this message and say, oh yeah, that was good, George, that was good. Yeah, something to think about. And just forget about it because dinner's calling. Well, here's the first one. Here's the first one. How would you describe your interaction with others? Whoa. Who are you talking about? So it's kind of like the kind of like the lawyer that came to Jesus and said, What are the two great commandments? And Jesus said, To love the Lord God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. And, and the lawyer seeking to be justified said, well, uh, who's my neighbor? Of course, you got the story of the man who was on the road to Jericho, the good Samaritan. Well, in, in some ways, with this question, it's kind of like that. You know, how would you describe your interaction with others? So be broad. How are you at home with your spouse? How are you with your kids? How are you with extended family? How are you with your friends? How are you with your neighbors? How are you with the person at the gas station or at the supermarket? How are you with the person on the telephone who's bothering you? Telling you about some warranty on your car and you won't even tell you what car it is. But I mean, how are you with that? Do you know what I'm saying? How are would you describe your interaction with others? And, and, and let's be honest, we're laughing, but I, I'll be honest with you, I kind of reflect what's going on around in the culture sometimes. Kind of reflect what's going around in the culture. Why is this an important question? Well, it's important because we carry that into the church and how we act with each other. Rather than being what we should be in the church and letting that carry out in our interactions in the world around us. Now do you see that we have something to become? Here, here's the second thing I want you to see. Start 
looking beyond yourself and act on the needs of others around you. Start looking beyond yourself and act on the needs of others. Now, as I said that, some of you are like, well, you know, George, I don't have very much money to help other people. I'm going to tell you right now, a lot of times people need help. It has nothing to do with money. It's actually so much more than that that they need. It's all of the areas that Paul described helping them. It's being an encouragement. It's investing. It's being gentle. It's being compassionate. It's giving comfort. It's giving encouragement. Those things don't cost money. Uh, they can. But a lot of times, it's not money that's required from you. It's your life. And that's true for every one of us here. Start looking beyond yourself. The problem, I think, is what's happened in church culture, what's happened in the world culture, is that we're all looking at our own selves. And we've lost sight of, like you know, I was thinking, for instance, like with our nation, we've lost sight of greatness. So you think about the words of JFK, ask not what you can do for but what you can do for the country. Do you know what I'm saying? That's, that's looking beyond yourself. We're, we're no longer there. It's all about me. And, then, and we find that sometimes in church. It's about others. And that's what we're called to be. Now, stop for a moment. I want you to stop as we close this. Think with me for a moment. Okay, just think. If these things were the things that Paul was doing, we pursued that in our own lives, what would our church be like? We can't even imagine that, can we? But I tell you what, it would be a whole lot better than we are right now. And what kind of impact would that be to a world that needs something different than what it's being offered right now? Something for you and I to think about and pray about. Let's pray together.